Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's podcast, we are talking all about choking or the proper term, asphyxiation, spitting, and defining sex and intimacy. This episode is full of tips to use, especially if you are interested in exploring kink and in particular, these types of kinks, lots of how-tos. It is a phenomenal episode. Before we get into today's episode, Get the Sex You Desire is back and upgraded. I am so excited to have Get the Sex You Desire back where we are helping women uncover their deepest sexual desires, expand what pleasure looks like, improve their confidence in the bedroom, and start having consistent, mind-blowing, toe-curling, partnered sex. Did you know that the lack of intimacy was the cause of 55% of divorces? But that's not for you, not after Get the Sex You Desire. We are really going to tap into what pleasure can look like and help you and your partner start exploring more in the bedroom. If you're not partnered, that is a-okay because in Get the Sex You Desire, we'll give you the framework so that when you do have a partner, you can cultivate this mind-blowing sex from the beginning. Ultimately, Get the Sex You Desire is for you if you feel like you're having good sex, but you're ready for that next level, that mind-blowing sex, or if you're unsure about what is even on your pleasure menu, what do you like, or maybe you just desire to improve your intimacy and connection with your partner, or you are tired of going through the motion in the bedroom and want to start enjoying sex more. You deserve a sexually satisfying relationship. So join me for Get the Sex You Desire. To learn more, go to sex.jordandanelle.com. I can't wait to see you there. Joining me today is Janelle Bryan. She is a public health practitioner and professor whose work centers on health, justice, and pleasure. As an experienced public speaker and facilitator, she has spoken and led workshops at Widener University, Drexel University, the Franklin Institute, and more. She's also the creator of the web series, Sex Redefined, a video series that amplifies diverse voices as they redefine what sex means to them. Through her teachings, Janelle promotes pleasure as a means of political change and a positive force towards social equity. All right, Janelle, I'm so excited to chat with you today more about a topic that is very intriguing for me and something that I would like to learn a little bit more about. It is asphyxiation. Can we just start with what is that? Sure. So specifically, sexual asphyxiation is a consensual, let's underline that, sexual activity that involves restriction of oxygen in order to enhance sexual gratification or orgasm. I love that. And I've I've heard that there's a couple different ways to do this. You have the oxygen prevention, but then you also have like bloodletting. Is that the same or is that different? So they're all a little different. So I would kind of say that there's three. So one is 
fantasy, right? So it's strictly for show. So if I like put my hand here, it might look like I'm squeezing. There's no pressure. You know, sometimes people just like that. If you're having sex, they want to feel like you could do something, but they don't want you to really do anything. So yes, there's fantasy, then there's breath. So that is a choke that restricts oxygen intake through mouth, nose, anything like that. So anything that restricts your lungs from expanding. So think of ball gags, masking, like you see people with like the leather mask and the, someone, the person might hold their nose while, this is, while their mouth is zippered. Ball gags, anything like that would be air. And then there's blood. So that's a choke that restricts blood flow to the brain. So that's when you see people like grabbing someone's neck. I'm so glad that you specified the differences. How would you know which one you want to explore? Sure. Well, yeah, the thing I tell people going into any sexual act is like, what do you want out of it? Because oftentimes we go into sex not knowing. We know we want to do an act, but we don't know what we want out of it. And oftentimes we're very disappointed in the end because we didn't get the results that we wanted. But it's like, do you know the results that you actually wanted? That yes, we want. So yes, there's three different types. I say start with fantasy because that really, there's no harm, no foul. Like you're not applying pressure or really doing anything. It's just the fantasy of it. So like I said, like touching someone's neck or even touching, putting your hand on their chest, not even applying pressure. For beginners, I would definitely say blood because there's a risk in doing this period, but there's less of a risk with blood choking than it is with breath. So I would start with that. Speaking of the risk, how do you do this safely? Ooh, yes. Right. And I love how you say that safely because this is not safe, right? So when you say something is safe, when we talk about sex, that means there's absolutely 100% no chance of anything going wrong or anyone getting hurt. So I tell people there's no way to be safe when you do this. You can be safer. So like having the knowledge and going about it a certain way, but it's not, it's not a safe act. So I would say for, especially for beginners, like when you're thinking about like, oh, you like, oh, I might want to try this, especially with blood choking. I, when I teach it, I start with the anatomy of the neck because that's very important. You don't have to be a doctor or RN. This is not Gray's anatomy, but if you're going to be putting pressure or squeezing or putting any, you know, doing anything, any sort of manipulation in that area, I think it's very important to know what you're touching and what things could possibly feel like. So when you're doing it, you have an idea, one, of what you're doing, where you should be applying pressure. And if something doesn't feel right, when to let go. Can you like practice on yourself to kind of get an idea of what (laughs) things feel like as I'm over here touching where my carotid arteries are? (laughs) I did see that. Yeah. Like, I taught this class, I think, for the first time during the pandemic. So most people were at home doing it on themselves. But yeah, so I always had like people like sit in front of a camera, whether it's their phone or like a mirror and like put their neck back and just start by like feeling down their neck and like feeling what that looks like. Right. So we have the bony part. Some people have an Adam's apple. Right. And then feeling under and feeling like the ridges of your trachea and like knowing what that feels like. I tell people what you want to do is not crush the trachea, right? So AKA like the windpipe, because that's how we get breath. (laughs) So just, you know, feeling around and feeling on the sides of the neck and just feeling for the carotid artery on yourself. And, And so 
the more practice you have feeling and touching yourself and knowing where the parts are, it'll be easier to find that on someone else. Okay, perfect. And like when you're doing this, do you want to go for the carotid? Is that kind of the goal if you're using your hand? <laughs> yes, it is. So yeah, when I think about it and I tell people like, find like under your ear and like feel down under there because your carotid or- artery runs almost parallel. I think this direction parallel to like your ear. I have headphones on, so I can't show you properly. And feeling for that. And because it is blood choking, right? So that by squeezing that, you're preventing the blood from going to the brain. On the note of safety, just kind of going back to that, one thing I always encourage clients to have is some sort of safety like stoplight. So a lot of times we talk about having like a word like pineapples or avocado or something that you wouldn't necessarily use. But when you are playing in this realm, you may not be able to vocalize and having a nonverbal cue, I think is really, really helpful. For me personally, me and my partner, we choose snapping as our nonverbal cue, which has come in handy before. (laughs) And I'm curious, like, what do you recommend? Yes, same thing, like a nonverbal cue. And I also really tell folks something that you don't usually do during sex. So if you know that you're a scratcher, like if you scratch your partner while they're choking you, they're going to think you're really enjoying this. So something that's very out of the ordinary that one, you don't do usually during during sex and two, you know, something that would get your partner's attention as well. Because a lot of times the part, the choker is just so focused on the chokey, they might not notice. So like snapping. So it's a movement and a noise. So something like that, like putting up a fist, like making sure it's something that they can see or like also hear. So I say like smacking the side of the bed or whatever you're leaning against. So like making a loud noise, but also nothing too complicated that you won't be able to get it out in a moment's notice. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, those as well. And you have to think too, a lot of times, at least this is my personal perception, a lot of times when we're doing different types of choking activities, we may also be tied up and have Mm -hmm. limited access of hands, legs, or for individuals who don't have use of their hands or legs, like you got to get a little bit more creative on what those cues will look like as well. Yes, definitely. And also, like I said, talking to your partner beforehand about expectations, about what, you know, your safety sign is so they know that it's coming and just... Most of choking involves a lot of pre-conversations and post-conversations. It's not really the choking. You spend most of your time talking about the choking, but that's how you make it a safer experience for everyone involved. I love that. And it just reiterates like where this all comes down, all the sexual stuff comes down to communication (laughs) and relationships all come down to communication and always having open communication about what you like or what you don't like and talking about what feels good, what doesn't feel good can be so instrumental in having a better experience. We talk about the the pre-conversations, not only asking your partner, hey, what are you trying to get out of this? I also tell people, ask them when they would like to be choked, right? So is it for foreplay? Is it to like get the ball rolling and then go into sex? Some people want to be choked right before they climax. So also that's very important to ask your partner 
Because if you do it, but it's not at the right time, the partner still is not getting what they would like out of the experience. This is so, so, so helpful for me as I kind of explore this world with a partner who is more kinky and I don't have experience exploring these types of situations in the bedroom or creating these scenes in the bedroom. So this information is so helpful. And I I know the listeners are going to be like, hell yeah, this shit's great. I have really small hands and I find it very difficult to choke a partner. Do you have tips for somebody who might have small hands like myself or just has a hard time doing the act of choking? Sure. So one thing I tell folks, if you are having some trouble, if you don't might not have use of your hands, you can also use your thighs, right? So this I've is also a little bit, I don't want to say dangerous is not the word, but this is something you'll have to take a little bit slower as well. So if you're with your partner, the choker would sit in a chair with their legs open and, you know, the chokey would sit in between their legs. You know, I'm a black woman. So I just think about like, you know, when my mom used to like braid my hair when I was younger, so I'll sit on the floor. Right. And then you put both of your legs on their shoulders. Right. And then you use your thighs to choke the sides of their neck and putting pressure on their carotid artery. But that's to say it's a little bit more risky because you can't see the person's face. So even when you're choking someone with your hands, you're face to face. So if they're unable to throw up their gesture, you can see their facial reactions. This is another way to choke without completely without the use of your hands, but you won't be able to see their face. So your safety gesture is even more important, but it's still just as effective. Ooh, I'm going to have to give that a try. Something that immediately (laughs) comes to mind for me is doing it in front of a mirror then. So then you can at least look in the mirror to see facial response and kind of start gauging how the experience is going from that way. That's, I didn't even think about that, but that's a great idea because also if they drop the mirror, like I should stop as well. But yeah, but people don't realize even if you are a smaller bodied person, if someone's sitting in front of you and your legs are on their shoulders, even if you're not squeezing, just gravity pushing your legs down and your legs are like hanging across like on their chest, like your calves are on their chest. That's pressure already. You're not doing anything. You're not squeezing. So you can just sit like this. The person can get used to the pressure. Maybe like, hey, this is good right here. Just having the weight of your legs on my shoulders and chest. And if they want something a little bit more, you can just like pull your legs in and then put pressure on the side of their neck. Mm. I know what I'm doing this weekend. (laughs) I feel like I know that we have some other things to discuss today too, but I know what's coming to mind for me is I feel like you'd be the perfect person to talk about an experience that I would like to have. And I'm really intrigued by being a sexy dom. So a dominatrix who's sexy and kind of like named that myself. If somebody's wanting to explore a different area, how do you go about that? You mean with your partner? Like with a partner by yourself? (laughs) Ooh, can we talk about both? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. A lot of people actually feel a bit more comfortable starting by themselves and just like feeling out that what that looks like, especially 
because we're humans and that fear of rejection is just like, all right, if I'm going to bring this to my partner, let me get my ish together first, right? So a lot of people do research and just watch videos and just find out more information because, you know, information is great, but also that builds confidence. Like knowing that you know something makes you feel good. So when you approach your partner, you're like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do it. Here's what I've been doing so far. Do you feel comfortable joining me on this journey? And just keeping an open mind, because oftentimes we don't know what our partner might say, especially if you feel like, oh, this is out of left field for me. Your partner might be thinking about this anyway, but they're like, oh, they won't be into it. So I'm not going to bring it up. So you literally never know what they might say until you say it. So I'm just like, hey, literally, what do you have to lose? Because if they say yes, great. If they say no, now you know going forward, like, hey, maybe this is not a journey they join me on. And what does that mean and look like for us? Yes. Yes. I love that. I find that so in this particular situation, my partner is super interested, which makes it easy for me because I know that my advances are welcomed. However, what comes up for me is a lot of fear of judgment. If I don't know what the hell I'm doing while we're in the middle of it, or if, I don't know, something, quote, happens, whatever that means, that I'm going to look stupid. How do you help your clients through something like that? Sure. Yes. Sex brings up a lot of feelings and especially with what you're talking about. Just like first I start with talking it through with them and letting them know what their, you know, their feelings are valid. And they're not the only one that feels that way. One, because joy is a very intimate, it's very intimate for people, right? So it's natural to feel fear when you're telling someone about something that you enjoy or that brings you joy, because when a, if a person rejects that thing, it feels like they're rejecting you because joy is so intimate. So it's very natural to feel that way that like, oh, your partner saying no to what we like sometimes feels like they're saying no to us as a person. And, you know, that's not true. And just letting them know, that like, yes, your feelings are valid. A lot of people feel that way because joy is such an intimate thing. Like things that make us happy says a lot about us, right? But just recognizing that, you know, if your partner might reject that act, they're not rejecting you. And also everyone is bad at things when they start. <laughs> Everything, everyone. Yeah, everything takes practice. Literally everything takes practice. People that have like who are not who have like natural abilities at like sports or art, if they never honed that skill, they wouldn't be great. So even if like you like even people who are just naturally good at something never get great without working at it. So it's recognizing everything in life we have to work at, which is also very tiring because I'm just like, I'm tired of the work. But <laughs> any anything that we want to get good at takes some sort of practice. And everyone that you see on Instagram or on YouTube or wherever you're looking, they were bad ones. They're not going to show you that because most people just show you the highlights, right? Like when we get a glimpse into people's lives on whatever social media platform that we're looking at, they're not showing all the hours of work and rejection 
that was behind that. They're showing like, oh, hey, this is the finished product. So don't ever judge your starting place. Don't, yeah, don't judge your starting place against someone's finished product. It's not fair to you. It's not fair. That is so good. That is so good. And you're, you're absolutely right. One thing I want to add too is that even if your partner may not be interested in it right now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow they may not be interested or like six months or a year or five years down the line, they may not be interested in that exact fantasy or desire. And sometimes it takes like easing into it. Sometimes it takes time to warm up to the idea. And the more that you potentially explore and continue to try things, it can open up doors to other types of fantasies as well. Definitely. And some people are very reactionary. So as soon as they hear like, Dom, they're like, oh, no, stop the press. I'm not doing it. But then like some people just need time to think about it. A lot of us don't know as much as we think we do. So just telling your partner like, hey, do some research. I can send you some things. You can do your own research. Look into what this might look like because it might not look the way you're imagining or what you've seen. And also, like you said, it could lead to other things. They could be like, hey, this is a hard no, like it's a hard limit for me, but I think we should do this. And that's something that we can both enjoy. So like a nice middle ground for both parties. Yes, I love that. I think that's some really, really good tips to easing into maybe exploring your kinky side or exploring with any types of sex. Ultimately, like not just kink, it's all sex, same same premise there. I would love to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit more about your web series, Sex Redefined. What is this? (laughs) Yes. So I've been a sex ed teacher for over a decade now, and I've taught in schools. I've lectured, I'm an adjunct, all these things. And I was just thinking about how can I bring sex ed outside of the classroom? Because it shouldn't be stuck there. I mean, we should have more sex in the classrooms, but if we do have sex ed, it's stuck in the classroom, whether it's me teaching teenagers or me in like college classes teaching adults. So thinking about a way to make sex ed educational and entertaining for adults and making it something that people want to watch. So that's where it started for me. But yeah, Sex Redefined is a docuseries and it amplifies diverse voices and allows them to define what sex means to them. So yeah, I don't, that's what's like, I use the word diverse. I don't really want to use the word marginalized because I want to talk to people that often don't have the platform to have these conversations about sex. And for many of these demographics, Sex has been defined for them and put out into the media. And it's hard to roll back that narrative. So I'm just giving them the space to have these conversations and allowing them to say what sex means to them and what it looks like and what the future of sex should look like and all that good stuff. I love that. And sex ed right now is so important, like more important today than it even was last week. And for those of you listening, we're recording this right after the Roe v. Wade overturning, where at this point, education for people who are having sex, which is 
everybody, well, most people, I guess you could say, this information is so important to get into those hands of people. And when you talk about like what is sex for individuals, the first thing that comes to mind is there's so many different stigmas around what sex looks like for certain populations. So I think like the first one that came to mind is that all black men have large penises or like Hispanic culture, like we don't have anal sex in Hispanic culture or there's so many different beliefs in different communities that we have to break down what sex looks like and and define it for exactly ourselves. What does it look like for me? It doesn't have to look like that for my peers. It doesn't have to look like that for my parents, my community, but what is it to me? Yes. And just hearing people's different opinions and inputs and experiences are so important because even like, so my episode of Black Women, I, it was me and four different women and they are all identified as Black women and they all have very different experiences right? So for me, that was so powerful. It comes just like, even in a room with people that look like me or that we I share something with, we've all lived different lives and that's okay. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like people seeing that be like, hey, like I can be, I am blank, but I don't have to like blank is also very powerful. Knowing that you have the freedom to be whoever you want and to do whatever you want is so powerful because oftentimes we don't see that. We just see the same stereotype over and over. Yeah, we do. And I think that you're so right that even people who are similar to us have different lived experiences and we all can share and learn from each other ultimately. I know your first episode of Sex Redefined, you talked about intimacy Is intimacy and sex the same? No. Yeah. And that was a question. My first episode was specifically was with black men and talking to them about. So we got into the topic of history, a little backstory, because they were explaining to me how sex has changed for them through their life. Right. One was 30 in their 30s and one's in their 40s. So I started their like sexual debut. So like how was sex like when they first started and like what sex, what was sex like for them now? And they both, the first thing they said was like, oh, it's actually intimate now. So I'm just like, what does that mean? And to like, what does intimacy mean? And like, why do you think that is? But no, sex and intimacy are two very different things. Like sex, the definition I use is anything that brings you sexual gratification, right? So that could be like phone sex, that could be a hand job, that could be a myriad of things. But then intimacy is any act that brings closeness between the parties, I think that's the definition. So that doesn't have to be sex. And when we think about intimacy, often in America, we use it as a euphemism for sex, and it's not... (laughs) Because you can have intimate, I've had very intimate moments with people that I've never seen naked, right? So sex does not have to be intimate. Intimacy doesn't have to involve sex. Mm, I love that. And one thing that I struggle so much with like Instagram, we're just going to use Instagram, is that 
I can use the word intimacy, but I cannot use the word sex freely. And so it makes it really hard to talk about what you actually want to talk about without using the word. And then you use filler words like intimacy, which is not exactly what you're trying to say, but at the same time, you can't use what you want to say. And it creates, I think, a little bit of confusion and it makes it really difficult to explain all of that. Censorship makes getting your point across so hard. I feel like anyone that works in our space knows like we are at the sources. We have to find a million different words to get as close as possible to what we're trying to say. But you're right. We never really ever get to exactly what we want to say for fear of being shadow banned or things taken down or like opening your app and your account's gone. So, Right, right. Now, can you have sex in intimacy without like one without the other. When you think about sex, and like I was saying with the, the series, Sex Redefined, it's like, what does sex mean to you? For some people, sex is one of the least intimate things they can do with another person because that is the regard in which they hold sex on the hierarchy of intimacy. We all have our own hierarchy of intimacy, of like what we think is most intimate. And Oftentimes, I find with people who are in new partnerships, they don't realize that how they view sex as far as intimacy might be different than their partner, right? So for me, one of the most intimate things I can do with a person, maybe, not maybe, one of the most intimate things I do with like people that I care about, if I cry in front of you, that's a very intimate act, right? I have a friend she will cry on the bus. She will cry in the street. She will cry into anyone's open arms. Like she just, she's like, oh, I have to release it. So to her, like her crying on a stranger's shoulder is a Tuesday and she will walk off and never see that person ever again and be okay with it. Like me crying in front of a stranger, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. They saw me like this. So on our scale of intimacy, crying rates differently. So the same goes for sex as well. For some people, it's just like, oh, like this is, I'm sharing this with you. Like we're having a moment. And some person is just like, I had a physical need and I have a body, you have a body and our bodies did things together. And that's where it begins and ends. Mm, Yeah, I love that explanation of it. How is emotional intimacy different from sexual intimacy? Sure. So yeah, sexual intimacy usually involves some sort of sexual activity with another person while emotional intimacy is so while sex is sharing the body emotion emotional intimacy is sharing emotions that's why i say like talking is mostly sex and people don't realize it and i for me personally i think the talking part is the hardest because you're sharing emotions you're sharing how you feel about the act which is hard for most people because we don't learn how to communicate about personal matters. That's not something that is taught in class. Like we know, oh, if I'm in the office, I speak this way. But we don't know like, hey, if we're having a hard conversation, what that looks like. So people's emotional intelligence runs the gamut. So emotional intimacy is hard for some folks because they've never had to learn to have these hard conversations. Some people go their whole lives avoiding these conversations because they don't know how to have them. So, And they're uncomfortable or they can be uncomfortable, especially if you don't know 
or haven't done them. And something that comes to mind for me is that like, I find that with these conversations, I find a hard time finding a time to bring them up and that there never really feels like there's a good time to have that conversation. Do you have any recommendations for that? Sure. If you know you want to have one of these hard conversations, oftentimes a lot of us have like conversations with ourselves in the shower, like in the mirror. If you watch like Insecure, you know, you see Issa Rae talking to herself. (laughs) I would say think about what you want to say and pick three things, like three highlights that you want to hit, but don't sit and script out the whole conversation because often when we have a script, we're not really listening to what the other person is saying. We're just like, all right, I said this and I got hit this. You're trying to hit all the all the points and then you're not really hearing what the person is saying. So I say pick three overarching topics you want to talk about and then let the conversation flow. But by the end of the conversation, make sure somewhere in there, those three things were you brought up. Also, sometimes just warning your partner it's coming. The conversation is coming puts people in a better headspace to have the conversation because a lot of times you hear people like, Oh, I felt attacked. Right. And that usually comes from like, you're saying I was not prepared. This came out of nowhere. So just kind of like prefacing the conversation with like, Hey, I really would like to have an important conversation with you about our relationship. Do you have time within the next week to have that with me? So they kind of like, know that it's coming, not like a text message, like we need to talk, right? Because I'm the type of person like, oh, we can talk now or I'll meet the energy. And now you're going into that conversation with like, and mind you, some people are like saying that or texting that because they're nervous. They're like, they're like, I just need to get off of my chest. I need to talk. Well, they'll like get off of your chest. Now it's on my chest. So it's like, if you want to talk, let's talk now. So, and now you're going into that conversation with some hostile, stressed out energy, But just like letting them know, like, hey, I would like to have a conversation. It's important to me. Do you have time within the X number of days? If you say soon, soon is relative. So my soon and your soon, like, could be two days, two weeks. Like, hey, do you have time between now and Friday to have this conversation and just go from there? I love that. Something else that kind of comes to mind for me, I use what I call a roundtable discussion with my clients where you have kind of a scheduled time to sit down with your partner and talk about what's going on in the relationship, whether it's sexual, day-to-day life, doesn't really matter, all bases of the relationship. And I think that something like that is really helpful for these types of conversations because you on a regular consistent basis have this space carved into your schedule to talk about whatever's coming up for you so that you don't have to worry about planning the conversation or I got to talk like, you know, Hey, next Tuesday we have this conversation. This is something that I want to bring up at that time. And I think that can make it a little bit easier too. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even think about that. I didn't think, haven't thought about it that way. But even I'm thinking about like my nine to five job, I have biweekly check-ins with my director. I see her like in passing and we talk and we email, but just having that carved out time, you might feel like, oh, we have nothing to talk about till you're sitting there. And you're just like, you know what? I meant to tell you, blah, blah, blah. Or like, oh, we talked about it, but we didn't have enough time to really delve into it. So having that time, is a great way to get deeper into conversations 
that you aren't having or you're already having. Yeah, I love that. Do you have any like tips for cultivating intimacy with your partner that you'd like to share? So I think I'm going to steal yours about the roundtable discussions. Because think about like making time for sex is just as important. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but (laughs) I see this especially with people who are in longer term relationships, right? So especially for those who are like married or have some like, oh, we're committed to each other in some way. So, you know, we're people in those relationships are like, oh, it's forever. Right. So there is no urgency to have sex. And sometimes there's no urgencies to have conversations either. Because if you live with somebody, you're like, I can literally yell up the stairs or roll over and we can do it if I want to. We can have these conversations if I wanted to. So there's no urgency that a person might leave or might go somewhere So we don't prioritize it. Like knowing that it's always available, we don't prioritize it, right? So thinking like in school, like, all right, so if it's two weeks away, you're not studying, a week maybe, the day before you are cramming because it is coming and you have to get ready. So if relationships, right, the longer that we're with someone, we're like, what's, like, why am I rushing? They're always going to be there. We live together. Like, oh, there's more important things. So scheduling time, for intimate acts, whatever that means to you as a couple, is very important because if we let it go, then it's harder to try to revive it, right? If we let it go too long between these stretches, and sometimes our partner might feel rejected. It's like, oh, we haven't went out for a while or we haven't touched in a while, not knowing that it's nothing personal, but the person just hasn't have that on the top of their mind. But if they know like once a month we do blank, we take a bath together, just take a shower together. Like it doesn't have to be a whole scene or like a getaway. Sometimes it's just being with each other in a way that's different from how you're with them usually. I love that. On future episodes of Sex Redefined, what types of topics can we kind of expect to see and learn more about? Great question. Yeah. So like season one, uh, which I'm still putting up, was I had Black men, Black women, and sex workers. So for season two, I'm still brainstorming. But I think right now, the next episode will probably be like drag queens. So I'm based in Philadelphia and we've actually a pretty big drag scene here in Philadelphia. So it's talking to drag queens and just talking to them about the performance aspect and like sexuality and how those coincide. So I've met drag queens. He identifies as a man, identifies as, you know, he's like, oh, I'm straight. I'm a man. I'm married. My wife comes to the shows, <laughs> right? Which is not something you see very often because a lot of folks think about, you know, drag, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. And I think in one of the latest seasons, there was a straight man on there, which is not something that you see very often. So like having conversations about performance, being in drag and sexuality, and then them outside of drag and what that looks like for them. Episode talking with trans folks about their relationships and sexuality and like how that has changed as they have changed and transitioned. And I think that's the only two I have like definite in my head right now, but. I love that. Cause I think that talking more about these particular types of individuals or communities 
brings more awareness to it. And the more awareness we have, the more understanding other people have. And it gives us an opportunity to learn, even though maybe that's not how we identify or in a particular community, we still can now understand a little bit better. I think that that helps a lot with reducing judgment, I guess, is really what I'm thinking. I'll be excited to see all of those episodes drop. I had one more question for you if you have time. I do. I do. Okay. So (laughs) something else that came up that I would love to talk about, and I think that you are the best person to discuss this, spitting. How do you feel about that topic? But the topic is fine. Sorry. I just laugh because I feel like I was talking recently. A lot of people want to talk about spitting and I'm just like, okay. So when it comes to spitting, how do you collect enough saliva in your mouth to spit on another human? (laughs) That is, oh, a great question. And like you were talking about your little hands, like some people just have dry mouths. Like that's me. I don't drink enough water. Y'all, I'm dehydrated. I got to do better. But I would say also make me be honest with your partner and letting them know that I have one good spit in me. That's all I have. (laughs) So it's like, when do you want it? Because, right, because some people, they're really into it. But if you can't produce enough spit, be like, hey, I want to give this to you, but this is all I'm capable of. So maybe make a gesture or a sign when you want it. Tell me beforehand. But, you know, If you don't have a lot of spit, it's okay. (laughs) Perfect. Where do like, where do you spit typically if you are going to spit on somebody? A lot of people like it in their mouths. A lot of people like it on their genitals. Some people don't discriminate anywhere. It's good for them. They just like the feeling, right? Some people like to see it. It really depends on the partner. Hmm. I feel like we could explore this so much more. And I think that we're going to have to have you back on the pod to talk more about all of this fun stuff, because this is so helpful and so educational. And I think, again, the more we talk about these things, the more people can go explore. But then also it normalizes the fact that like, yes, we all are into some some shit and that is a okay, and have fun with it. If the listeners take anything away from today's conversation or one thing away from today's conversation, what would you want it to be? I guess I have two things. I'll put them together. One, that sex involves a lot of talking. And sometimes your pleasure is on the other side of a hard conversation. That's so beautiful. Like you couldn't have said it any better. And I think that those are some really, really, really good takeaways. Thank you so much for joining me, Janelle. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. Where can the listeners find you at? Oh, yes. Thanks for having me. So you can find my website, JanelleBryan.com. On the interwebs, I'm on Instagram at underscore J, by the way, also on Twitter. And for my docuseries, it's at Sex Redefined on Instagram and SexRedefinedSeries.com. Beautiful. Once again, thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing 
with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me, and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonnell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.